regardless of I think how you end it with or without a baby I think it really is a nightmare welcome to episode seven of ugly cry I'm your host Tess I started the service Upsprout to provide long-term support for grievers, and then I started this podcast to lift some of the silence around grief and loss. Today I'm talking to Anya about infertility and IVF. So much of our conversation comes back to this point of how society defines our value. As women, we're so often reduced to specific roles that involve birthing and raising children. This interview took place a few weeks ago, and since we spoke, I started picking up on all the subtle reminders about motherhood that flood my daily life. I flip on the TV to see a family having a conversation over the dinner table. The single woman at the table is asked when she's having kids, and the mood gets tense when she explains that she doesn't want them. Weird, I think, and flip the channel. It's a group of friends, all have children except for one. They all not so casually throw around weird comments about their internal clock. The next morning, I meet my friend for lunch and she shares with me that one of her friends has been saying that she will never know love and purpose unless she has children. Wow, I think. What do these constant reminders feel like for Anya? I mean, I've had moments crying in the ice cream aisle because I remember happy memories with my dad that involve Rocky Road, but it doesn't permeate my whole experience in the way that I can imagine it might be ever present in Anya's life. My first question to Anya is a simple, and also not so simple one. I just want to know how I should refer to her infertility. Is it an experience with infertility? Is it a battle? Let's dive in. Um, so when it comes to infertility, I think it's a very common thing to be, oh, it's an infertility journey because everybody ends up with a baby at the end. And for women like me that ended up without one, I don't really know. I I guess it's like a battle, but I don't really want to be called a warrior either. I think it's just part of my life that I never thought I would have to be part, like be a part of, but so what would I call it? My infertility nightmare. <laughs> and yeah, I think like coming to an end of it, regardless of I think how you end it with or without a baby, I think it really is a nightmare. And unfortunately, there's a lot of relief with walking away and knowing like you've made a decision and you're no longer waiting for something else to happen. Mm-hmm. And so you're saying a lot of times when people describe that experience with infertility or the battle with infertility, at the end, there's a baby. Mm -hmm. And that's usually how you see things framed. Yes. And not so often hear it framed as making the decision to stop or to be unable to have children. Yeah. So I actually commented on somebody else's post today. She's actually a child-free woman by choice. And um, it's interesting when I tell people, like, I'm unable to have children. And they're like oh, don't worry, you can, once you stop thinking about it, it will happen. And I was like, no, 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 like, it happened last year. Like, and then I got an ectopic pregnancy. And then I had my uterus taken out, like, it will not happen again. 
Well, if there and people like to say like, well, like you can always be a mom, like you can always adopt, you can always do this. And it's like, no, it's not that black and white. It's not like I blew a tire in my car and I just go and replace it. I, I, it's human life that we're talking about. So when people, people have really hard time accepting that your, that battle could end without a baby. And they always try to fix it. Like, well, what about adoption? Like, what about, what about like, um, surrogacy? What about this? What about that? Like, and it's just like, no, can you just let me be me? Can you comfort me as this? Stop trying to fix me. That's such a common experience I think across the whole spectrum of experiences of grief and loss yes is this it's like a compulsion of people to try to make it better and you just can't Mm -hmm. (laughs) you really and I think we as humans always want to be we want to fix it right we want to be helpful and I'm in Michigan so back in November we had a high school shooting which happened about 12 miles from my house and I know some children that go to that school And my immediate reaction, what can I do for you? Because it would fulfill me knowing that I've done something for you. And one of the family said, Anya, thank you very much, but I don't need anything. I don't need you to cook me a meal because it's the only thing I can do to control my household. And I was like, you know what? You're right. I'm making it about me to satisfy my need to be helpful and useful where I just need to give you space. Did you find people doing that with you pretty often is assuming what you need or maybe not even trying to offer help in the same way? What was your experience with that? Our experience has been leaving us alone. And I think it's because so there's two things like have a go through adoption. And if you don't want to, then you don't want any help. Therefore, we're just going to let you be. And we found ourselves very much alone. Um, And I think more my husband than me because I created that infertility Instagram page and I've gotten a lot of friendship and a lot of support through that where my husband is just lonely and men are so often forgotten through the infertility and it's never their battle and nobody really thinks how it affects them. You highlighted something for me too that I think probably even I would have forgotten the element of which is that your husband is also mourning in a way or has experienced loss in a way and I think um so my mom my mother-in-law passed away um five months into our marriage Mm -hmm. and I didn't really know her well I mean I knew her I loved her she was wonderful she's she was kind but it was my husband's loss and I just felt like how dare I take any like part in that loss because she wasn't my mom and I think we always kind of as spouses, we try to like take that back seat and like, well, this is not my loss to grieve. I'm just going to be there to support them. And I think same thing with infertility. You more so grieve for your broken spouse than the losses they are experiencing. When you're supporting spouse, I think you experience two kinds of losses. Like A, it's the first loss, but B, like unable to really help or fix your partner. Mm -hmm. So, and it's kind of, a double whammy. I think there's a, another common thing of, of all kinds of grief where people tend to be afraid to ask about the loss because they don't want to quote, upset us. Yes. Um, and do you feel that too? Do you wish people asked about that loss more? Um, 
I do. Also because I think we've never held a baby. So people don't view our loss as a true loss. Uh, and still people don't really acknowledge it. You know, it's funny you say that. Like people don't talk about losses. I went to, I stopped by to see my coworker yesterday and his mother passed away on the 18th of January. And he like literally re- like retold me the entire story of how it happened. And, and, and I just stood there and I listened to him because I think it is so important to be heard. Like when you tell that story, you like, you almost, it's so cathartic. So I was like, yes, of course, please tell me more. Like, how did you feel? Like, I'm sorry. It was so, it was so beautiful. Like, I mean, not to hear about his mom passing, but that experience that like, I could totally understand what he needed because I've been through it and I wish other people were willing to listen to me. Mm. That's a really beautiful moment. It's almost, it's like a beautiful thing that is, it can be so hard to understand that that's all that person needs unless you've been in those shoes in a way. Cause because yeah. of that, like I want to fix it, but yeah. And I, it, kind of know. <laughs> it felt so intimate. It just felt like I, I like felt like touching his heart, like, or he was mm. touching my heart and it's just, and I just felt so honored that he shared that with me too, because that mm. you don't go to people you don't care about to talk about things like that. Yeah. Yeah. So no, people don't really talk to us about our loss. Like I told you earlier, our, um, so we found out our pregnancy, our final pregnancy that ended up in the ectopic loss was January 31st was my surgery. And that one person messaged me to like, say, Hey, I'm thinking about you. You know, not one person like really acknowledged that day for us, except like for my husband and I, we just both kind of stood home mm-hmm. and, and I wish more people really remembered those dates for us. And the yeah. fact that you remember and you acknowledge, you're not picking on my wound because it's always there. You make me feel like you remember and you care. And I think a lot of people just don't want to be uncomfortable. Yeah, I I cannot agree more. I think you're really speaking to something so true that there's so much fear around, oh, I don't want to upset them. I don't want to remind them. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's not possible to remind, like you, like you said, that loss is such a part of your experience. It's yeah. not like it, it is out of your mind. I wish I could like, I, I honestly, there is, I wish there was a day when I didn't think about my losses. I wish there was a day where I didn't wish, what if things worked out differently? Mm-hmm. And I, I talk about this a lot. I, I, I know that 40 years down the road, there's always going to be that what if. Like, what if we ended up with one of those babies? Like, how different our life would have been? There is something beautiful that, like, grew out of it. I, I don't think I don't think motherhood would have made me into the person I am today. You, you've talked um, on social media some about this kind of feeling of your body having failed you. Oh, my gosh, yeah. You know, uh, it's been really interesting because from young age, when we see little girls embracing dolls and playing with their dolls so gently and they're like oh my god you're gonna be such a wonderful mom like look at how wonderful you're gonna be so from a very young age we're led to believe that our only purpose is to be a mother our only love and nurturing our only skills for motherhood and nobody ever talks about how it's just an essential part of being and we've created this illusion where womanhood is motherhood it's not womanhood and motherhood. 
and they can be parallel. They both have to be very much intertwined. And and what it creates for women like me, whose bodies just refuse to get pregnant or unable to carry a pregnancy, it makes us feel that our bodies are failing us while everybody else is able to just fulfill their purpose as a woman. And we're also the society of gratification and punishment, right? Like if you do good, good things will happen to you. If you do bad, bad things will happen to you. And so when your body does not produce those things you're supposed to do as a woman, you immediately wonder, what have I done to deserve this? Like, who have I wronged to not be a mom? Like, what, like, what is it that I've done that prevents me from being like everybody else? And there's this really crazy thought process that goes through my head very, very often. I keep on thinking of all the people I've been in a conflict with, all the friends that I did not remain friends with over the years, all the people that I like cut off in traffic, you know what I mean? And they, and I wonder if they look at me now and know that I'm childless and think, oh, she deserves this because she was a bitch to me at that bar one night, or she deserves this because she broke up with me the wrong way, you know, because when you don't get something you want, that, that has to be a punishment, right? And then I also think, well, if it's not those people that thank the universe for failing me to become a mother and giving me this gift, then it has to be my body. Like I must have eaten something bad. I must have stressed too much because people say like, oh my gosh, like my wife stopped working and we had a baby or like I stopped drinking and I got pregnant. I went on vacation and relaxed and got pregnant. So there's this always these conditions, but in reality, my OB said to me, she's like, maybe your body was just protecting you because a pregnancy would have been really, really dangerous for you. Mm. And, and that is just, just such a like mind like game. That's just like, so maybe my body was not failing me. Maybe my body was doing its best to protect me. That's a powerful way to reframe that so that it doesn't have to be like you searching for through your whole history to. I know. It's like, it's just so much. Yeah. It's got to be hard too to see. I mean, I would imagine if I was seeing somebody that I think I would feel really jealous of those people or angry at them, maybe even like, oh, you're not taking this seriously. Like I would have taken this so seriously. Do you, yeah. do you feel that? Like, how do they get to have a child and I don't? But I don't like sit around like, oh, what, how can I compare my life to somebody else? It's very natural just for those thoughts to like come into me. Mm-hmm. I also see people at the airport with like multiple children, like four, five, three, you know, and I'm like, why do they get four and I have zero? Mm-hmm. It's really hard. It's, 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 it's just, it's crazy how like, how much it like occupies me. Oh, it has to, that has to be so hard. Even, I mean, I, I lost my dad two years ago. That's I'm sorry. my, you know, experience. Oh, thanks. Um, and I still, I see people with their dads and I get jealous. I think that's just, you know, it's such a, I see people with their 90 year old parents and I say, oh, I if only I had a 90 year old parent, we had 30 more years together. You know, it's just, yeah, that's part of our reckoning with that loss. I um, think. Yeah. Have you read notes on grief? No. Uh-uh. You should totally read it. It's an absolutely beautiful writing by 
I'm going to totally butcher her name. Uh, Chimamanda. Uh, she's a... Ngozi. Yes. I do. I know the author. I love yeah. her work. So she, her father passed away in 2020 in, oh, in Africa, nice. and she wrote about their bond. And it was the most beautiful writing. And she talks about grief, and she talks about the relationships, and she talks about how complex grief is, and like that grief is just very difficult and heavy and hard and sad but grief is also like laughter notes on grief honestly like gave me a different sense of grief is like I've never had a dad like that like mm. it's really interesting how it could all like twist and turn and make you feel like it, it's still a comparison game I think that's just how our minds are wired it's interesting too. You, I mean, this your infertility nightmare, and then this experience of this da- this father figure that you didn't experience. It's like they're two sort of more ambiguous loss. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you feel like that makes it more difficult um, to talk about your experience with grief? Um, no, I don't think so. I I don't think it does. I just think I I think it amplifies things for me a lot. What makes my infertility so much harder is that I really wished to redeem the parenthood that I never got. Mm. I always wanted to have somebody that's going to love me more than my parents could ever love me. I was hoping that I could have a family member that would just look at me and be in awe of me and just like love me for who I am. And like, like normal families, right? Um, and I was hoping to be a normal family. And uh, I I have a normal family. And I have two dogs that love me when I come home. They jump on me and they're so thrilled to see me. Um, but that's not how I had first envisioned it. So, And uh, being an immigrant, my family's already so much more reduced than other families so it's just my husband and I my mom lives here my brother lives here but we're not that close I just hope that we could root us a little bit deeper and unfortunately I think it's just going to be Matt and I and more Mm. dogs (laughs) dogs are the ultimate uh, unconditional lovers but yeah yeah that's it has to be hard like not not the picture that you had in your mind or the hope that you had you know, yeah right that mm. it's you're right and the grief of what you thought would be in like when you lose a family member when you face an infertility um diagnosis when you have a miscarriage you you have plans for your future I think we all do like Oh, I mean, like my, I'm going to see my dad, like walk my child down, like, or watch my kid graduate high school, college, you know, and like, same thing. We all kind of have these expectations because that's what life is. It's continuation. And when it abruptly ends, it's, you not only grieve the loss of that person, but the future you had with them. How, how has that um, shaped your relationship now with your partner? Oh, it's so terrible. Uh, in the way, it's not like it's not terrible, but it, it's been it's terrible because I feel like we've been dealt a very, very difficult hand. Being an incredibly traumatized, kind of screwed up individual. And by the way, like I'm not that screwed up. I I'm very kind and I'm very 
I'm very emotional. Like I, my emotions are very like, I'm happy. And I could also be very sad. I wear a heart on my sleeve. And I think one of the things my husband fell in love with me with because is how like cheerful and happy and excited I get. But also when you're so free with your emotions, when it's on the upside, you're just as free with your emotions when it's kind of below normal or status quo, what is normal. Um, and so for us, it's been very, very trying years. Um, I've been telling my husband to leave me for many years because I feel like he could have a child with somebody else if he were to find the woman that is fertile. And I feel like he would be a great dad. And I think he's got so many wonderful qualities that like he would just pass it on to his children and they would make a world a better place. But, you know, it's when you tell your husband to leave you, it, it's not healthy. Um, so I don't recommend it, especially for a long, prolonged amount of time. But also it made us stronger. We've gotten through so much darkness together and we grieve very differently. My husband is a person that uh, would rather pretend it never happened and just kind of like get used to that absence and uh, brush it almost under the rug and never talk about it. Where I'm the person that's very methodical, like I need to process, I need to talk things through, I need to compartmentalize um, every little detail and I need to work through it. So that way it doesn't come back and haunt me. Um, and I think I've done that as a self-preservation over the years through everything I've been. And I think that's how I continue to function where um, my husband is a little bit more of a, lived a little bit more of a sheltered life, which is very nice. And I think um, the world of him and his parents for protecting him. But I think when you've never faced adversity, it's really hard to kind of like, face so much of it mm. so you almost want to uh unattach yourself from the reality of it and pretend like it never happened so I think the two different ways of us grieving creates a little bit of a, a refract but we're still I mean we're very close we're very compassionate we care about each other deeply and uh, we've talked about a divorce a few times recently only because I we both feel like we hold each other back. Like, mm -hmm. I feel like I'm too sad and too broken. And maybe he could be with somebody else that's a little bit lighter and happier. And he feels that he may never be good enough for me because, like, I always just have, like, super high expectations of everything. Which I don't think I do, but maybe... <laughs> um, and it, it's it's very, very difficult because... I couldn't imagine my life without him. And he says the same thing. And so I think we're just kind of working through these challenges. Do you have any uh, advice that you would give your, maybe yourself a couple of years ago, just as you, as you and your husband were just starting to navigate these things for maybe couples that are in the same or, or individuals that are in the same place? I honestly, I think one thing I would say is, give yourself grace, give your partner grace, but also lean on to each other. And where we were very good at like healing separately, we forgot to heal together. And I think when you continue doing things separately, you will continue growing apart. 
where I, I really encourage having conversations, having date nights, having, um, one of my favorite things to do is to look through our old photos and just to remember how happy we once were and how many wonderful memories we've created. And to think about that, like being no more. And like, if we were to separate, like all of that is for nothing, you know? And, Mm. And I really, truly believe in the power of forgiveness, um, to forgive yourself, first of all, and to forgive your partner, because none of us are here to do any harm to each other or to ourselves. So if you feel like your husband didn't do something the right way or at the right time, or you didn't seek help at the right time, and or he or she discouraged you from it, just remember, you both made that decision with the best information you had at that time. So there's so many things we could have changed if we knew they needed to be changed. So just remember that I think we all do what's right for us in the moment. It's looking back. I mean, like I would redo so many things, <laughs> but you know, I there's one thing I wouldn't change. I wouldn't change my partner. I wouldn't want to do this with anybody else. Well, that's a powerful feeling. And your person is there. Yeah. And if somebody said like, oh, you could, you could be a mom with a different partner. And I, I wouldn't want that. No. You brought up something interesting through an infertility nightmare that there's so much pressure on women or on, you know, a child bearer. Yeah. (laughs) And then do you, did you witness your husband under the same kind of pressure that you were under to, to become pregnant? No, not at all. It's really, um, there's one thing I recall very vividly when his mother was diagnosed with stage four breast cancer and his mom was a fantastic mom. Like she was a stay-at-home mom. She loved her boys and Matthew is the oldest. And she would always say, Matthew made me a mom. It was like, he gave me that most beautiful title. And she was so good at it. She was a mom through and through. And when she passed away, I, I, I bear a little bit of the guilt that it was partially my fault because if I were to be pregnant, it would give her a chance to like fight maybe and like want to live and maybe I mean it's so unrealistic like if somebody's got stage four breast cancer that's spread into their liver like they don't stand a chance and for me to get pregnant wouldn't save her and people would tell me at her funeral like oh my gosh she's gonna bring you a baby from heaven And I was just like, wow, like, thank you. I'm really grateful for that. But it's like, nobody came to my husband and said those things. Nobody ever goes to my husband and says like, chop, chop, when are the babies coming? And nobody says, oh, you're not getting any younger. Like all those comments are at me. Nobody tells my husband, stop climbing a corporate ladder because like babies. But people love to tell me those things. And I don't know. It's it's very interesting how many times people in conversations would ask me like, oh, so do you guys have kids? And to him, they would just be like, so what do you guys do for fun? Like, what's your favorite drink? Hmm. It's There's a lot more to men than 
babies. I see. And to you, as people assume the first priority or the first thing would be the children that you have or whatever, or yeah. your plans to have children. Yeah. Yeah. That, that was like the main thing about you. Yeah. And I've always kind of, we, we started trying before a wedding. So it was, it was a little bit harder for us um, to talk about it before the wedding, but a year into our marriage, I would tell people like, Oh, I'm focusing on my career or we're just grieving the loss of my mother-in-law. I'm not going to lie. It's, it's a little bit hard trying to family, like do the things for baby making while you're grieving. Like it's mm-hmm. not exactly kind of go hand in hand. It's not the best foreplay. And uh, so, and people are like, well, like don't waste any time on you. Like career is always going to be here. And I'm just like, but no, the reason why there is a pay gap is because of motherhood. Mm-hmm. And like, it's one of the reasons, you know, there's a lot to do with it. So it's just like, no, but I was using my career as an excuse. I was using a lot of things as an excuse because I just felt like I was a failure. So I had to make up a, a reason for it besides being like, yeah, I can't do it. That's such a heavy load to carry that of just all this pressure of, I mean, it's just, it's like sexism and misogyny, right? It's like the weight of all this, like, you know, a, a long history of women being reduced to their reproduction. Yeah. Um, you know, about like four months ago, my own mother, um, so my brother has three daughters and I was on the phone with my mom. She obviously knows I have no uterus and she knows everything we've been through. And I was crying to her and she's like, oh, I, I know God will give you, give me a grandson. And I was like, excuse me. She's like, I know God has plans for you. You're going to have your baby and God is going to give me a grandson. She doesn't have a Southern accent, by the way. And I was like, I I don't understand where you're saying those things, mom. Like, we're not getting another dog. And she's like, no, no, no. You're going to have a baby. And I'm like, mom, I'm not going to have a baby. Like, there is zero chance I'm going to fall pregnant tomorrow. She's like, oh, there are better ways. I'm better ways. There are different ways. And it's like, how delusional are you? And also, like, it's not my job to fulfill your boy-girl mm-hmm. situation. You have three granddaughters. Mm-hmm. Be grateful. Was that her uh, pushing for you to still get pregnant? Or that was her pushing for you to, like, you know, adopt or something? Oh, like adoption. Oh, it was adoption because she's like, oh, I called Christian, like, adoption services, and mm-hmm. they have babies. And I'm like, Mom, they all have babies. They all tell mm-hmm. you they do. But I don't think I'm emotionally prepared. It is a financial responsibility. And three, it's a huge trauma for for children particularly. And I am in no position. I am so broken right now. I can't mm-hmm. offer a stable home. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know how people just don't get that. Like, you don't go to somebody's funeral and say, ooh, you just lost your wife. I have a friend. Mm-hmm. Like, you just don't say no, those that's things. That's a really like a really poignant visual that's like such an important thing to visualize because it does people do treat that in such a cavalier way oh you can just like get a child a different way um with with a a cavalier attitude that you're absolutely right would not be appropriate in any other situation of loss Mm, it's important to remember and 
And I, I follow quite a few adoptees on Instagram. And one of the adoptees posted in October for uh, Adoption Awareness Month, I was someone else's plan B. And that was like a knife to my heart. Because you know what? Yeah, we wanted to have our own children and now we didn't. So we're going to go and adopt. That's another element that, that hadn't occurred to me, I suppose, is like kids are very smart. They're astute. They understand what's going on. Um, they're going to know the conditions mm-hmm. under which they were adopted eventually, right? And to that's a um, has to feel like a lot of pressure that they feel too, right? Like they have to redeem a situation or be like a saving grace or something. Um, yeah, yeah, that hadn't occurred to me either. Yeah, it's not fair I to them. I can see why that would be. And, yeah, and I told Matt, like, I think once we're a little bit more healed, I would be, and even last year, when before we were talking about adoption, I was like, I don't think I want to adopt. I would rather, like, sponsor a woman that is mm-hmm. pregnant so she could keep her child and keep the family rather than, like, rob her of a child because she mm-hmm. can't afford it afford them not it yeah there's a lot more to it than I think people understand when they don't when they haven't had to seriously consider it themselves or actually understand the fun the way it functions yeah Hmm. Uh and and you know it's and it's very interesting how people are like well like why don't you go and adopt and nobody came to our rescue and offered to be a surrogate I've posted on my Facebook I've talked about on my personal Instagram and not one person one thing that maybe people don't give enough credit to is that this is such a traumatic experience. And and also, I mean, if you, you're undergoing IVF before you had um, a hysterectomy, right? Mm-hmm. So it's yeah. so much, I mean, your body's been through so much, your mind and your heart have been through so much and to speak about it in such a cavalier way. Um, yeah. Yeah. It, it, it goes back to that being obsessed with providing an answer for you. Like, a, you know, this will fix it. Um, and that's yeah and honestly I wish people just came to me and said Anya you're so beautiful your life is so valuable you're whole as you are and I'm sorry didn't work out but like you have so much to offer to the world Mm. instead of trying to just like here's a baby option here's another baby option like you could be an aunt or you could be this and it's Mm -hmm. just like just stop this like I don't need to be like please tell me I don't need to be a mom yeah. Please validate me as I am. Like, stop. Stop telling me my only purpose is to mother something or someone. Is there, if people are looking for ways to support somebody um, that they know that's having an experience similar to yours, is there um, a way that they can ask and validate the experience in a way that doesn't feel like it's crossing boundaries or being violating um, to your privacy too and your autonomy? I think there is a time and a place to ask. I think there's a few questions not to ask is when are you having children? Why haven't you had, haven't you had children and whose fault is that? Um, Those are very, very tough questions to answer. Um, They're very invasive and they're very attack like. So it it immediately puts us off Um, the other things. I, I really truly believe we need to offer more, happy endings that do not include a baby. If you know somebody's going through infertility, but don't like immediately jump and be like, Oh, I know a couple that's never had children. And they're like super duper happy. Like just, I, I think just be, be kind and compassionate uh, and be like, don't be, don't give us pity. 
like when people feel pity for me, I immediately get turned off and I feel really sorry for myself too. And it creates this like perfect storm of emotions. And when I walk away from that conversation, I, I don't recover immediately. It takes mm-hmm. me a couple hours to feel back to me. Um, I think constantly remind them like whatever decision you do, I will support you and truly mean it. Because at the end of the day, the decisions we make or the decisions we're facing are not in a textbook. And nobody really, we, we don't have anybody to turn to, to really run them by. So if I come or a family or a friend comes to you and says, I don't know what to do. Like, I, I, I don't know, like if I should do another round of retrieval or should I transfer my final embryo? And you basically say, I'm sorry. I don't know what the right thing is, but whatever you choose, I will support you. And truly support that person and um, just don't try to fix it and solve it. Just be there with them in the moment. And if it's a sad moment, just sit there and continue passing on tissues. If it's a happy moment, just keep on pouring that wine, you know, like just come come for us. shift a little bit and talk about finding childless joy yes of course um I think finding childless joy has been maybe more so of a prophecy than the reality I'm really hoping to get there um by the way I I I think I might have mentioned that at the beginning prior to recording but I am a little bit fortunate how my journey ended not because I ended up with a baby, but because I didn't really have to make a decision for myself. My decision was kind of made for me by medical professionals. I no longer have the uterus that could make me a mom. So I am, I think for me, there is no more what if. There is no more monthly visitor and flow that will remind me that, oops, we failed again. There are no more menstrual cramps that remind me of how bad my uterus was or well, if I still had, it would be is, but, um, so for me, it's a little bit easier to kind of move towards acceptance because there are no possibilities. Unless somebody drops a baby on my porch right now, I cannot become a mother. Um, so for me, there is that ease of the decision being made. Uh, When it comes to finding joy, I think you find joy in the smallest things in life, like looking through your old photos where you and your spouse was happy. Um, When you were traveling, when you, um, like, you just kind of start revisiting those moments of your life that you still felt whole and you were still without children. So there is an element to you that could still be happy. And I think for me, I started truly turning my love inward and I had this love pouch saved for my baby that I was holding on so tightly and now I love me a little bit more because I think every year that it didn't happen I kept on putting more love into that pouch and now I have all this love to give and there's nobody else to love but then I look in the mirror and there's me and I think 
in order for you to truly find joy, you're never going to find it in the baby. You're really never going to find in a spouse. You're never going to find it in a friend. You have to find it within you. But I do, I do have joyful moments and I do have true days where I feel happy. And I, I laugh so, I don't know, freely at some moments that I just feel like there is hope for me. It makes me happy to hear that those moments are returning to you or finding their way to you, that you are having those moments that feel joyful. Yeah, they do. Like we went to the dog park on Sunday and like the way they were just like running through snow and I'm running with them and, you know, and you, you, you find yourself laughing and it's there. It's Mm. always there. It's just sometimes you're, existence is covered in so many scars you just need to like let them heal a little bit to break through and this but you're you sharing your experience right now is just it's reminding me of like these all these moments where I really felt like the volume was turned down on my own life and had so many of these exact questions like will I ever not feel this way ever again is this just like the new normal I have to adjust to um I think especially maybe if you have a little bit of the perfectionism gene like I do and like maybe I suspect that maybe you do it's we can really beat ourselves up yeah and say gosh I'm not am I not doing this right am I not nailing this assignment like what is happening I still feel sad yeah and I think you should and honestly so there's a few analogies I make a um one a uh one of them is you're going to get to your new normal. Like you will never be the old you again. And I think we all need to get to the point of recognizing that. And um, the other analogy I make is that your emotions and your tears are like your digestive tract. You become very constipated if you continue holding them in. So you need to shed them and, you need to really create that safe space for you where you could feel comfortable crying and feeling sad and looking through old photographs and grieving your losses. I mean, I have a photo from 2019 of my miscarriage and it's a blob of blood in the toilet paper. And I look at it some days when I really need to feel it, when I really need to grieve my loss because that's the only, that's the only picture of my only baby I have. If I look at it, I can never delete it. Maybe one day I will, but it feels like it's the only child of mine that I truly can see and feel, remember, like touching it. And there are days when I just pull up that photo and I look at it and I cry and I grieve and and then I shower and I feel like I, I cleansed myself of this sadness. Yeah, and there are days when I I can't even look at that photo because I just don't want to be disturbed by it. It's it's such a delicate balance of like letting in what we can handle and accepting the moments where we have to step yep. back and and just give it some time. Yeah, grief is so strange that way, and it does feel so like we're like we have to be bound to these milestones in some way, and that like there's supposed to be a magical switch that happens at at one year, at five years, we're supposed to just ding, I'm done. Um, that yeah. the magical switch is a switch the society wants us to have, so we don't make mm-hmm. them uncomfortable. Do you have any uh, any advice for those people who are afraid to to be downers? 
by sharing their grief. <laughs> you know what? Like you will weed yourself in your life out of people that just don't matter and that don't care about you. If they can't be with you in the time of stress and struggle and great grief, then why do you need them? Um, and then lastly, I think owning your own story by sharing it allows you to be in charge of it rather than having the story own you. And talking about my loss has been a very, people say it's brave, people say it's vulnerable and it's beautiful. But it, the reason why I started speaking about it more openly is because it allowed me to be in control for once. It allowed me to be in charge of how I navigate the narrative and how I let it continue live on. If I held it inside, it would have been a shameful thing. But if I speak about it, it's no longer shameful because nobody can shame me of it. So if you're afraid to be a downer, don't be. You're not a downer. They're just, they can't handle it. Great advice again. If um, there are other people who are seeking out community amongst people who are childless by choice or childless or have an infertility nightmare experience, um, where can where do you suggest they look and find those communities? Um, well, Instagram. Instagram, please. Um, I, I came upon it myself last year after I failed transfer. And um, it's it's an incredibly wonderful place to be. Um, just go through uh, hashtag infertility or hashtag childless not by choice or hashtag trying to conceive. Depending on where you are in the journey, you will find um, so many other women. And there are quite a few men now that are creating a space for themselves um, also because there's not a lot of support for men. Um, uh, you can find me, find finding.childless.joy. I really will, I have no issues connecting you with the right individuals. I love putting people in touch with the right support and even in the right city um, or just being there in service to you. Um, I think we all could benefit from one another. And uh, also I'm hosting a child-free, childless um, girls trip in Myrtle Beach in June. Uh, it's on my page, so check it out. Yeah, it would be really nice to meet more people from the same path and kind of create our own um, village because I think we don't have the village. All the lights playing games on all the counters and window panes. Sun is bright, it's a new.